everybody. This is the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and joining me today on the old Skype-a-majig, all the way from Austin, Texas, is Henry Mazza, Chief Creative Officer of the Alamo Drafthouse. Welcome to the show, Henry. Thank you, Jeff. The Alamo Drafthouse, for those that aren't familiar, has been called the best movie theater in the country by people like Entertainment Weekly, Wired, Fandango, and frankly... I tend to agree with them. Henry, what is the Alamo Draft House and what makes it so special? <laughs> that's, uh, that's such a fun question. Uh, it's always strange because on the, on the very, very basic level, Alamo Draft House started out 15 years ago. We're a movie theater that serves beer and food to you at your seat while you watch a movie. Already sounds awesome. But people hear that and then, and then they go, oh yeah, I've been to a place like that. We used to have that across the street from my college or AMC has that and they, they opened one in New Jersey. I know what you're talking about. Cool, whatever, moving on. And uh, it's because over the years, we've, we've kind of become so much more. That, that was the thing that got people in the door initially. But now uh, we think of ourselves as this whole sort of brand for the the geek culture, and the the Alamo is our is our flagship church. And inside that church, uh, we just create the ultimate movie lovers environment. So we go beyond not just serving you beer and food, but we do that without bothering you. And we don't play any commercials before the feature. And we we got really famous last summer because uh, one of the advertisements that we made telling people about our policy that we actually do kick people out if they are talking uh, okay that ruins the movie experience for people so let's take those one at a time first of all let's talk about the food and drink how i think some people uh if you haven't seen a theater like this you may be initially skeptical that you can get served food and i'm talking like plates of hot food during the movie uh without being interrupted or interrupting those around you how does that how do you actually work that out well, the first part is if you want to order something during the movie, you've got to write it down. And you just kind of write it down on a piece of paper and stand it up on a clip in front of you. So that's going to get the waiter's attention, and the waiter's going to come and pick that up and then get out of your way all in a matter of a half second. Also, you have, so, a, you have a table in front of you, too. You're not just, like, in a movie theater seat. You're, well, you've got a table in front of you, but you're in a movie theater seat, too. Some of the other places will do it where they're like, here's a comfy couch, and then you get a little armrest that you pull out. And ours is based on kind of traditional movie theater seating where there's a row and a row and a row. But we pull out every other row and put in a, a table design. And we've recently been updating our table designs. But the basic idea is that you're still in a movie theater seat, a very, a very comfortable, nice movie theater seat. But one that's like bolted down to the floor facing the screen and uh, the table is in front of you with that clip and it also holds your food. So, but you're not eating a bowl of pasta in your lap or anything. Like, you can eat like a human. You can eat like a human. The table is sometimes a little bit out of reach, so I often pull, like, a bowl of salad into my lap. Uh, uh, we don't have pasta as much, but you'll have a pizza, and you'll put the pizza on the table, but kind of hold the, the slice over a napkin on your lap or something. And the drinks, you guys do something fun with the drinks, too, where there are themed drinks based on the movies that are showing. Yeah, well, we'll do themed menus and themed drinks around all sorts of stuff. And so we only have a couple of locations right now that have a full liquor license because we are based out of Texas and the Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission is crazy. 
I believe that. How many theaters are there? We have 11 right now with, with another, at least one more opening this year, possibly another three opening this year. Wow. So you guys are expanding pretty quickly now. Yeah. So what are some examples of some themed food and beverage items? Like what's being served right now with what movies? Well, uh, one of our favorite things to do isn't as much the, we've, we've got some food specials with uh, new release movies. We've got a lamb stew and uh, in a baked bread bowl that goes along with the Hunger Games, which is really nice because the kids are starving and you kind of feel like you're in the capital eating this really great food. Uh, but we'll also do entire feasts around a certain title. So we'll do that with a lot of repertory stuff. Our most famous and biggest one is we do uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy with a different uh, Middle Earth meal at every Hobbit eating time. So you've wow. got movies and like 11 meals. So is that all three movies back to back to back? Back to back to back. And, and you're being fed the whole time. Yeah, all day. And you eat only when the hobbits eat? Well, the hobbits in the books have like the 11, uh, 11 different hobbit meal times. And so you've got, and they, they allude to it in the movies with the, what about second breakfast? Right, so right. So don't make you skip second breakfast because you're not on a quest. You're just watching other hobbits on a quest. So you eat when the hobbits were supposed to eat. That's yeah. so fun. It's such, a, it's such a nice detail. And you guys don't admit anyone into the theater that's under the age of 18, correct? We do if they're with a parent. We, oh. It's six, between 6 and 18 with a parent. So we're still you know, family friendly, but we're not drop off your teenagers and let them make out in the back, making everybody else uncomfortable friendly. How much does like serving food and beer make up for not being able to sell tickets to, you know, teenagers on a Friday night? Uh, well, we don't lose anything from not being able to sell tickets to a teenagers on Friday night because adults like going to a movie theater that teenagers aren't at. So we're usually at capacity, especially at our Austin locations. Yeah. Uh, weekend. Nobody under 18 just a terrific policy. I'm sorry if anyone is listening to this show and they are under the age of 18. But if, if you are listening to this, you're probably one of the cool ones and you can understand why it'd be terrific to have a movie theater where no one else from your high school is allowed to go. <laughs> Do you admit, like, really cool 17-year-olds by themselves? If they, like, you know, if they're in, a, like, old John Carpenter movies or something, you're like, ah, come on. I think we've done that twice. Uh, there was a there was a friend of Tim's early on that pleaded because he really wanted to watch the Gremlins on the big screen. Wait, who's Tim? Uh, Tim Leeg is the is the owner, founder, and CEO. Okay, and he really uh, wanted to see Gremlins on the big screen. Perfect. So he we, he had programmed Gremlins and and somebody who was underage. Although at that point we were actually twenty one and over because of all those uh, alcohol laws. And this we let in a twenty year old when when the age policy was twenty one. And then we've let in a couple of other like friends of bloggers that live in town to some stuff when they're there with the blogger friend because we know that that guy is not going to uh, to let his friend ruin his street cred at all. But for the most part, you know, people bring in bring in a parent or or a, an older sibling or something like that, and it's something to to share. And it's not a whole lot of let's just get dropped off and be twelve years old and watch the Hunger Games. So no one under eighteen unless they're with a parent or a respectable blogger. <laughs> we had to update the website with that official policy. <laughs> and the other thing you had mentioned was that before the movie there are no commercials and so what do you show instead we put together themed pre-shows to everything so uh before the hunger games we've got clips from other movies where people were uh, having to kill each other in dystopian societies or run away from uh from people um we'll put in Different uh, shorts, uh, you know, th whatever, whatever is entertaining and, and themed to the movie rather than obnoxious and themed towards the bottom line. 
it's it's really about making the making that entire experience once you're in your seat you're at the show you've paid money yeah when i was in austin um and i went to the theater I saw Total Recall there, which is one of my favorite movies, and seeing it on the big screen was so fun. And then before, you guys were showing, like, old Schwarzenegger workout tapes, old trailers about movies uh, where people go to space and that kind of thing. And it was probably as much fun as actually seeing the movie. And it's before the movie, so you can, like, kind of talk about them and comment with your friends on what you're seeing and these interesting things you're seeing. And our pre-show for the new Total Recall might be more fun than the movie. Oh, man, I forgot about that new Total Recall. I'm kind of not. <laughs> What's your take on the new Total Recall? You know, I, I, I don't like to judge them before I see them. I'm not a fan of the trailer. I'm not a fan of some of the, the changes that have been made. But I wasn't, I was, I didn't have any high hopes for 21 Jump Street either. I thought that it was that same kind of let's retread an old 80s show. And then as soon as they made us aware that they were in on that joke and then they still did it right so i love 21 jump street i thought that was terrific i thought it was fantastic it was so, so good i'm not looking forward to it but i'm going to see it and i'm willing to be happily surprised by total recall i kind of wasn't paying attention to it and like i said i love the original total recall I, it might be in it's probably my top 10 favorite movies maybe 20 something in that range it's really one of my favorites how, how old were you and is it all just because of the three boobs uh a lot of it has to do with the three boobs i was too young i didn't see it in theaters um i don't even remember it being out to be honest what is it like 1989 maybe 91 something like that Something like that. So I was too young to see it in theaters, but I've seen it many times since. The point where I started dreading the remake was there was a trailer for the trailer. And I was like, sorry, Everybody's guys. Everybody's doing that now, though. Really, that was the first time I'd seen that. People are doing that now? Everybody's doing it. And especially after Hunger Games opened so huge. And, I mean, Hunger Games, the first book is okay. The trilogy is crap. The movie has a lot of, like, interesting things in there, especially if you're new to the material and you didn't know that this has already been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but Lionsgate killed it with the marketing campaign and getting everybody to keep talking about it by doing that kind of thing with leaks. And so now everybody's doing that. Like, hey, have you seen? Uh, there's a new clip of Spider-Man's pinky. Yeah, on, on his pinky in the nude one. Uh, they're going to change up the outfit a little bit. And you can see that he's got a little bit of a, uh, a longer fingernail on the pinky. I think that maybe there's going to be a scene where he plays a guitar. I don't mind them, like, slowly leaking out information like that, though it is a little annoying. But what I found so egregious about the Total Recall example was that there was a trailer, and then at the end of the trailer, they have the chutzpah to be like, come back and watch the actual trailer in a week. It's an ad for an ad, and I found that just really grating and just insulting just in principle. I don't know. It all feels the same to me. I'm fascinated by it. It is, like... I love I love that slow league too because I love talking about Spider Man's pinky, but yeah. the ad the ad it's it's kind of that same kind of deal and I think it's just it's here to stay and we have to learn to enjoy it now. One of the other things you mentioned up top that we we grazed by uh, now I want to come back to is your very very strict no talking policy. I think most movie theaters they show something where they're like, by the way, don't talk th during the movie. In fact, I saw, whatever I saw recently, maybe it was The Hunger Games, I believe the Lorax came out and did the don't talk before oh, the movie. So, so, but you guys, you take that seriously. We do, and we always have, uh, because we'll do a lot of that repertory programming, and in our original theater, people mistook repertory programming for uh, movies that are funny because they're old, and so we should make jokes during them. And, and we don't view them that way. So that's really where it started. And we were just like, you guys, I get it. We're playing some Russ Meyer stuff. But that's because Russ Meyer is a genius. So shut up. Uh, 
And then the other, and then it just kind of stuck because we started doing more and more new release programming. Because even if you are in Transformers Four and you you think that there's something funny to say, say it, say it later, or uh, write a whole comedy show around it, and maybe we'll have you come out and give you a microphone. But uh, how often yeah. do you have to kick someone out? Like ten times a year. And but so the other piece is we've got the waiters in there, so no other all the other theaters put up that warning and say silence is golden. But they don't have anybody to, that can do anything about it because there's a high school kid working tickets and then he has to sell you popcorn and he has to go up and start the projector. We have the servers in there that are, that are servicing you, not just bringing you food, not just taking your order, but taking care of the room. So they, you, people write down, hey, this guy next to me is being a jerk. And then the waiter comes by and the first time you get warned and then if you repeatedly have to come by, the manager come by, comes by and, and then you have to leave. So it also is, it, you know, if we're sitting down together and, and there's a big explosion, and I'm like, damn, Jeff, you see that? That was huge! People will go, shh. It's not like, uh, we warned you, you have to go, sir. What's your policy on texting during the movie? Because uh, I think that's not quite as annoying, but it can be very distracting. Well, that was actually the, the piece that went viral was uh, a woman who had texted and we kicked her out. Can, can uh, you describe that uh, video for those that haven't seen it? Yeah, well, so the whole texting policy, and we'll, we'll go through that video too, uh, we, we weren't sure because I kind of like, again, it's like I can, you can check a text discreetly in your pocket because people are like, what if, what if my house is on fire? I need to know. And if I look at my phone, I'm going to get kicked out. No, like you can look at your phone and see that it's not a house is on fire. It's just like. Do you want to go to dinner later? Just don't fucking pull out your phone and answer if you want to go to dinner later in the movie. If you need to answer that badly, step outside because it's not as loud as somebody talking and having a conversation. But the lights are so bright, and if it's a movie with a lot of dark moments, it's really, really distracting to the people sitting next to you uh, and behind you. It's not even just sitting next to you. I was, whatever, I, I saw a movie recently. I can't remember which one. Uh, but no, no, I do remember which one. It was John Carter. I maybe I just didn't want to admit to myself which one it was. Uh, and there was someone who was half the movie theater away that was checking their phone the whole movie. And uh, you know the theater is very dark, so when someone pulls out their very bright phone, it's it's really distracting. Maybe that's why I didn't like John Carter. No, that's not why, but it didn't help. Yeah, it didn't help. So we had we had somebody who was who was uh, texting ridiculously during uh, Water for Elephants and had, uh, had been warned, then the manager came up and kind of had to sit in front of them for 40 seconds before they looked up from their phone to see that the manager was in front of them, and then took them out into the lobby and said, hey, listen, we've warned you a bunch of times, we need you to go. So this girl uh, brilliantly called us back uh, to, to tell us about how stupid we are and how she goes to all the other theaters in Austin and no one ever gives a fuck about what she's doing on her phone. And so... She's never coming back to this stupid Alamo draft house. She's going to tell all her friends about how crummy we are. Actually, she said how shitty we are. And uh, she left that voicemail on our private events hot, uh, voice message. And, and they promptly gave it to the GM of that location who promptly gave it to the creative department. And we spent 15 minutes listening to it over and over again. And then I, I promptly started uh, turning it into a video piece that we could put up on screen and then put it up online, and, and uh, now something like 5 million people have, have wow. seen it. Wow, I did see it everywhere. I didn't realize that many people had seen it. Can I play a clip from it now? Sure. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys actually enjoy treating your customers like a piece of shit, because that's how I felt when I went to the Alamo Draft House. Okay? You know what? I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to text in your little crappy-ass theater. It was too fucking dark in that place for me to find my seat, all right? I was using my phone as a flashlight to get to my fucking seat. 
So excuse me for using my phone in USA, United States of America, where you are free to text in a theater. I was not aware that I couldn't text in your theater, all right? I've texted in all the other theaters in Austin, and no one ever gave a fuck about what me I was doing my fucking phone, all right? And it was on silent. It wasn't on loud. It wasn't bothering anybody. You guys, obviously, were being assholes to me, and I'm sure that's what you do, you know, to rip people off. You take my money, and then you throw me out. You know, I will never be coming back to your Alamo draft house or whatever. I'd rather go to a regular theater where people are actually polite. And, you know, I'm going to tell everyone about how shitty you are. Did you ever get any flack from her? Did you ever hear from her again? No. uh, We, she, we didn't, by the time that message got to us, so many other people had called, like, her number wasn't on the caller ID anymore. We still have no idea who she was. Uh, One girl claimed that she was her and came forward to uh, a local television station, but we got wind of that interview before aired and our uh, PR person went down there and checked it out and it wasn't her because this was a girl who I guess sounds kind of like the girl who called in and had been kicked out before for but it was because she was kind of drunk and was annoying and she was like I was drinking a lot back then I do have some nights that I don't remember I'm sober now but that might have been me and I'm really sorry I love the Alamo and then it wasn't her because her incident had happened a year earlier and this one had happened like two weeks before uh that's really it. So we have no idea. And we kind of like it that way because it's also not about her. It's about the, the fact that we really, really will kick people out because we put up those messages otherwise and people just think that we're just like the, the AMC playing the Lorax. Something else that keeps coming up that I think makes the album special that we're not even addressing is the movies you play. You have new releases like The Hunger Games and Water for Elephants or whatever that is. But uh, you also, you're talking about showing Gremlins and Total Recall. You guys show old movies. Yeah, we do a lot of repertory programming and uh, through a lot of different series. We've got, we've got a full staff of, of programmers and a full creative department. That's the other thing that really does set us apart. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a marketing department. We have a creative department that handles marketing in addition to other pieces of it. Uh, and within that, there are programmers that are just a bunch of really, really passionate people, uh, people that have come to us from all over and just started hanging out at the, at the theater all the time and then some of them started pitching ideas and then some of them started introducing some of the movies that were that they wanted to see on the big screen and then some of them just kept doing that. Uh, and so we have folks like Lars Nilsson who hosts Weird Wednesday every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. and has been doing it for 10 years now who's got to be one of our country's leading experts on uh, 70s exploitation films even though he doesn't like the calling them all exploitation, but uh, he, he shows a different one every week uh, on 35 millimeter and just waxes poetic before each thing, really enhancing the experience for everybody. Zach Carlson does the same thing at Terror Tuesday with the uh, 80s movies. And then a lot of those are on 35 and we can't send them out to all of the all of our locations because some of the suburban ones are, you know, they don't have that same hardcore demographic that's going to come out and really support a 35 millimeter horror series week after week after week. But we do some DCP stuff uh, with all sorts of repertory content also. What is DCP? 
Uh, DCP is basically the, the new digital projection system when you Got go it. see something digitally at a movie theater as opposed to Blu-ray or watching a DCP. I mean, I imagine most movie theaters, I imagine your local AMC or Lowe's or whatever doesn't have a chief creative officer like yourself. How long have you been working uh, for the Alamo Draft House? Just over 11 years. And I started on the, uh, on the service side. Uh, I was a, a runner, a food runner, and then a bartender for six months, and then a waiter for a year and a half uh, when we were still one a one-screen location. But during that time, I was one of those guys that just started cutting trailers and pitching show ideas and then started hosting shows. So when it got to the point where Tim couldn't do all of the marketing and programming himself anymore because he was busy with uh, construction of new venues, I was the first one that he promoted up and kind of started the entire creative department. Um, so, yeah, I do, I'm sure that none of the other companies have that. And what are the responsibilities of the chief creative officer? What do you do? I tell you, it, is, it has changed so much over, over the years, especially now that we're in this expansion mode. Um, I've got a lot more people under me than I had before, and, us, and also like other departments next to me and working with me. So we have an executive producer now that oversees the art department and the video department, and I don't have to... Uh, handle all of that, but I kind of creative direct all of that stuff. So I'm still creative director of the pre-show and uh, what our internal ads are going to look like, our website and other things like that. But we've got uh, other marketing professionals to help make sure that I'm not being a complete idiot about that. But we're also, the other thing that's really exciting about what we're doing, and I kind of touched on it at the beginning, is that we're taking the movie theater as the as the church, but then we're building the entire religion around that. And so we've got our uh, news and really kind of more movie lover conversation website, Badass Digest, that, uh, that I oversee as well, where we, we took Devin Faraci, who had been online for like a decade and most recently at chud.com and, and basically gave him reigns as editor-in-chief over there. And we're doing, you know, he's doing all sorts of different content and we're putting together fun extra things so that uh, on, on the website, obviously, we do have ads because website ads aren't nearly as obnoxious as movie theater ads. Uh, and we're working on different things where we can partner with sponsors on fun stuff. We've got a, a really cool amateur filmmaking contest coming up later that I unfortunately can't talk about yet, but it's going to be awesome. And so we'll oversee those kind of projects as well. Um, running the entire like all of the the pop what we call the pop and party programming because we've got our cult and culture with uh, those guys Lars and Zach and then I do all of the quote alongs and uh, other interactive events what's a quote along quote along we take uh, a you know a very quotable movie and then play it and whereas we normally kick you out for talking at a quote along we have a tendency to pick on you if you don't talk because we want you to quote along with uh, all of your favorite lines so what's so we'll what are some good movies for quote alongs uh, Princess Bride is, is one of the big ones, and we're, we're working on doing a, a quote-along Princess Bride tour uh, later, so hopefully that comes out. Oh, all that over sounds really place. fun, yeah. Uh, and so on, on that one, we'll, we'll hand out big inflatable swords and other props like that, so you're not just saying, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, but you're waving a sword at your neighbor while you're saying it, and we do a bunch of games beforehand, kind of taking that Rocky Horror Picture Show thing, except that most of the Rocky Horror uh, events that I've been to are uh, both too campy and too loud and too like we're gonna we have to yell out everything that's ever been yelled out during this movie since 1972 so yell this right now and ours is more about we all really really love this movie we know it by heart we're going to experience it together and that's it was really at one of those uh, sing-alongs that I started thinking of it as church because everybody stood up 
Uh, we used to do a Buffy the Vampire Slayer sing-along to Once More with Feeling. Oh, my uh, God. Sold. Yeah, so good. And everybody stands up and sings along to, to, the, to the songs and then sits back down because they're not going to get up and go, hey, look at me. I'm dancing crazy. And I was like, this is just, this is just like church. We are creating this like group excitement and people are just ready to come back and keep worshiping at the altar of Buffy. Buffy is a terrific decision, and it's great that you guys went beyond movies and looked to, you know, something that would be fun. I remember when I saw the Simpsons movie in theaters, I didn't love the Simpsons movie, but I loved going to see it because I had only ever watched the Simpsons in my living room, usually by myself, maybe with a few other people. Uh, So to see it in this room full of people that all love the Simpsons, and we were all, you know, people cheering for their favorite characters and that kind of thing. Like, I think they could have just showed three old episodes of The Simpsons and it would have been just as good as the movie. Maybe even better? It probably would have been better. They should do that. Uh, but I think that's what, uh, what's so fun about what you're talking about is that, uh, the, that expe- that's like the experience uh, when you watch an old movie like that, when you watch something you've seen so many times, like Princess Bride or this episode of Buffy or whatever it is, uh, and you watch it with your friends, you want to talk during it, you know, celebrate it a little. And it sounds like you're taking that experience out of the living room and, like, uh, turning it into an event that you can go to and meet other people and uh, enjoy, you know, just enjoy the fandom. Yeah, although we still don't let you actually talk uh, like you can in your living room and there aren't commercial breaks. But you do, you, you experience it together and it is such a different thing. And so it's not being talked about as much now, but three, four, five years ago, people were having that uh, conversation that comes up every 10 years or so about, well, are movie theaters uh, about to be extinct with, with new 3D televisions and Blu-ray thing technology at home? Who needs to go? Uh, but it's not about having the biggest IMAX screen in town. We don't have an IMAX screen, and we trounce the IMAX in Austin. It's not about having the loudest sound. I mean, it's about having the best presentation and the best like quality that you can. But at a certain point, hey, guess what? We've done it. There's beautiful digital surround sound. Now it's about getting together with a group of people and enjoying something collectively uh, that then becomes this experience. And it's not just collectively with the people that you go there with. You can go by yourself and then still have that group experience, even if you don't have any friends that you can talk about it with over a beer afterward. I never understood why more movie theaters don't show old movies. Like, I know everyone's got to go see that Zac Efron movie and it's got to get X amount of screens. But uh, even in New York, which, you know, if anywhere is going to have it, it seems like it should be here. There's a very, I, I, I like, I would pay full movie price to go see the original Superman or Gremlins or any of these movies we're talking about. And you, you really don't see that very often. I think you're going to start seeing it more. Uh, a lot of it, initially, a lot of it was because with a 35 millimeter print, one of these large chains... There's not a whole lot of prints out there, and AMC doesn't care about that one theater in Times Square getting the gremlins. Like, they've got bigger problems. Uh, Now that things are available digitally, you're starting to see a little bit. Uh, Taxi Driver did it through Fathom Events, I think. Uh, Uh, Fathom Events puts on some stuff. I, I always see the ads before the movies. I've never gone to one, but I do think once or twice I've been like, I would see that. Yeah, and like you know, they're 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 trying, they're and they're doing that with the with that they're using repertory content as alternative content more and more. And theaters are certainly catching on to the fact that if you play something that isn't Hunger Games on Tuesday at ten, you can draw more people than you can if you do play Hunger Games. So it's going to happen. Uh, that part is something that, on some level, makes me go, "Dang it, we started that. No fair." 
but on another level makes me go, that's actually why we got into this. It's not just that we're saving the movie theater industry with our own uh, brick and mortar stores, but I think that we're having an effect on the culture that is dovetailing really nicely with what's happening uh, with technology. So, I do think anyone that's into movies is aware of the Alamo Draft House and what they're doing. I know um, Harry Knowles has his thing there. Like, who, is, who are some people, Harry Knowles is the first one I listed, who are some people that have hosted events there? Oh man, that list is is crazy huge. Harry Knowles uh, was was early on because uh, he lives here in Austin. I, I, yeah, I thought of him because I thought of Austin people. Has Tarantino done anything there? I associate him with Austin too. Yeah, uh, that is a, largely because of us. Also, he for for years he would come down uh, every year, every two years, and take over the theater for two weeks during his Tarantino festival. And so a lot of times before he's making a movie, uh, he'll come down and show a lot of the old movies that are kind of rattling around in his head. Uh, I think the last full QT fest he did was before Kill Bill, so this is this is years ago, but uh, there was this whole uh, night of revenge movies, and you're like, oh, this is this is what he's doing. This is how he's writing that. That's awesome. Uh, he, uh, we, did a, we did a premiere of Inglorious Bastards at our Ritz location on 6th Street. Uh, this is one of my favorite stunts that we've ever done. We didn't tell him that we were doing this, but we, get, we did like this... Uh, it was going to be this all-night marathon of starting with Inglorious Bastards and then other war movies that had kind of influenced him, and he was hosting the whole thing. Uh, and, and when they walk into the movie theater, uh, the Nazi movie theater in the film, we had rigged uh, six different Nazi banners that we'd had hand-produced to fit our walls and unfurled them on the inside of the uh, theater, so without any lighting to them at all. So there's just this, like, click, whoof. And then that Nazi movie theater on screen was suddenly extended throughout the entire theater. And uh, everybody goes, what? Oh, and then claps. But then very awkwardly, when the lights come up at the end of the movie, there was no way to uh, referral the the Nazi banners. That was just this kind of joke to be as tasteless as we possibly could be during that movie. And so then we had Nazi banners up in the theater for the rest of that night. Uh, That sounds awesome, but I have to ask... Did you have any trouble printing up huge Nazi banners? Was anyone like, uh, we can't do this for you? No, it's amazing. And <laughs> it wasn't expensive or anything. People were just like, yay. Because, you know, I think that everybody knows us and knows when you know the spirit of it, uh, it changes it. And it changes whether it's uh, truly offensive. Oh, uh, I don't think it's offensive at all. But did you tell the guy printing the banners? Did he know it was being used for this prank? Or were you just like, hey, we need oh, six yeah. Nazi banners? And he was like, no problem. We'll have them up by Tuesday. <laughs> no, we, we told him what it was for. So we, I interrupted the list. Who else uh, has done an event there? What have been some I mean, of your I'm favorites? Not, I'm not even going to be able to do a, a full list. But uh, Crispin Glover's come through. Elijah Wood started coming just to go to Harry Knowles' but Numathon, and now it comes down to Fantastic Fest every year. All right, so uh, we briefly name-checked Harry Knowles. For those that don't know, he runs Ain't It Cool News, which is like the uh, – how would you describe Ain't It Cool News? I don't even know. Uh, I mean, there. I think that he was one of the first uh, movie bloggers online. So they've yeah, got really out of, of its time. And uh, – you know, he gets uh, a lot of respect. He gets mocked in some different uh, pop culture things because of his status. So he's he's up there. And what is But Numathon? But Numathon is how he celebrates his birthday in the theater every year. And it's a 24-hour uh, festival programmed primarily by him, some with some help from Tim League as well, of uh, a mix of repertory movies. And uh, for the past, I don't know, seven or eight years especially, more and more 
sneak previews of upcoming stuff. Yeah, uh, like I believe, um, correct me if I'm wrong, weren't you guys going to show the Star Trek 2? Right? Am I getting the story right? Oh well, that wasn't actually during Butnamathon. That was another. That was another uh, Fantastic Fest off festival event uh, that was able to come through because Harry Knowles is in town and uh, the studio wanted to to help out, and kind of surprise him. So even he didn't know. And we programmed Wrath of Khan, the best Star Trek movie. Yeah, sold tickets to Wrath of Khan, thirty five, sold out the theater based on that, and then. Uh, played, I don't know, maybe six minutes of it, getting through the the epically long opening credits, and then burned the film. And the Tim Tim League stands up in the middle of the auditorium and goes, oh no, what's going on? And actually really sells this. And I'm sitting next to him and his wife, and I don't know that this is going to happen. Uh, and But we, we know that he's almost always up to something. Uh, so runs up, says, hey guys, I'm sorry, we, we've ruined the film. I don't know what happened, it was an old print. And then at that moment, Leonard Nimoy walks through with new film cans and says, well, we could watch this movie instead. And we showed the uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Uh, I think before the even the world premiere in Australia. I think so, happened. too. We were six, we were six hours ahead of them. So, so you're showing the new Star Trek movie before anyone could see it. Leonard Nimoy has come out to present it. What is the reaction in the room? I can't imagine... I can't imagine anything more exciting. It sounds like, it sounds, I'm sorry, sports fans, it sounds like a million Super Bowls. <laughs> so a million Super Bowls, especially because you've got the fans in there that are, are, aren't expecting it. And you, I love when you kind of like can get that disappointment and then suddenly flip it because everybody was like, oh man, well, what are we going to do with the night now? This is horrible. And then he walks out and you're kind of like, wait, what? No, I mean, what? What's really happening? No, wait. What's really happening? What's really happening? Oh my God! Uh, yeah, it was kind of like that in the room. I mean, especially if you can surprise Star Trek fans, the most jaded, I'm just like internet nerdy, you know, savvy people to like pull one over on them is really something. You're risking a lot uh, by calling them the most nerdy people on the internet well, right now. Well, Star Trek fans, you know, kind of like Ada Cool News, way ahead of its time. I think there's other followings that rival Star Trek fans, but Star Trek fans were, you know, they were doing fandom first. That's true, but now I would, I would like to have an event where I make Star Trek fans fight brown coats from uh, Firefly. I don't uh, know who would win that. How much Firefly-related material have you done at the... I just, I'm, I, I don't even know why. I, I'm just assuming you've done something. Oh, yeah, we've done everything. I mean, we've done full Firefly marathons. We've done uh, Serenity... We do Serenity every year on Josh's birthday with one of the Brown Coat Foundation people. Uh, that, that's just that's such a strong group of fans. It's 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 incredible and infuriating at the same time because you wish that you could get them to watch other stuff as much. Of all these fan communities that you're dealing with, is there one that stands out in your mind as the most hardcore? I don't know. And I mean, what I really like about what we do, and it's this is where you know all the other stuff is how we set ourselves apart from the the other big chains, but. Uh, the way that we set ourselves apart from a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really cool independent theaters around the country doing really great stuff. And there's a lot of places where you can go see repertory content. Uh, not a lot in, in New York, but I mean, there you've got groups like Rooftop Films and some of the different people doing rep movies in the parks pretty well. But obviously it's expensive to build a theater there. But in uh, Boston, they've got the Coolidge and the Brattle and you've got the Music Box in Chicago and you've got the Castro and uh, the Roxy in San Francisco. And there's a lot of places that do a lot of cool stuff. But uh, one of the things that we did early on, really just by chance, was started programming to a lot of different groups because we had a couple of different programmers that were just programming to their passions. 
And so, uh, I don't know, four or five years ago, I was over at my girlfriend's house and realized that she had a whole bunch of DVDs that we had never programmed. And I was like, oh, yeah, we don't have a girl on the programming stuff. I bet that if I said, if I gave her one night a month, we would have this whole different show. And so she started doing girly night. And now uh, every, every other Tuesday, there's a girly night at 7 o'clock where we sell out the theater to, uh, you know, 26 to 34-year-old women that come in, have some wine, and watch uh, classic slumber party stuff like Clueless or Dirty Dancing. Uh, and then right after that, at 9.45, Zach hosts the Terror Tuesday where we have a bunch of 18 to 23-year-old dudes in long black trench coats to come in and uh, have some hot wings and watch a horror movie. And both... You know, both kinds of, of groups are really just fans of, of what they have there and, and find, find a home inside the same four walls. And it's like those, those, those two groups of people haven't passed each other in the hall since high school. Yeah. They pass each other when one walks out and one walks in. And I, I think that that's one of the most beautiful things about what we do. And it makes it so that, yeah, there are some, the brown coats are, I mean, you tell the brown coats, hey, can you tell some, tell your people that we're showing serenity? And they will tell their people and they will go. And they're much more. By the way, we should be clear brown coats are what Firefly fans call themselves. Yes. I like Firefly just to the point where I would call myself a brown coat and then a little bit less. Right. And that's, I'm like that. Like, I'm such a fan of all this stuff, but I do get too close to all, all of the fans. And then that makes it like, well, but I'm also, I'm not, I'm, I can't identify as a brown coat. I mean, I also like Girly Night and I, I like. Uh, mean Girls, so I'm so, going to dress like a regular person and then enjoy all of it. Yeah, just to go back to that, you're saying girls like movies too? <laughs> I've even seen them play video games. It's messed up. You just blew my mind. I'm fascinated by nerddom and how everyone is a little nerdy, and just the idea that like we're all getting that way, You know, be it with Lord of the Rings or fantasy football or uh, knitting. Like You can get nerdy about all these things, and it sounds like you guys are programming to nerds, but not in the classic nerd Star Trek uh, sense, but in to nerds, to all different types of nerds. Yeah, I thought that I thought that it switched and they were geeks now. Are we back to nerds? I, I'm not. I don't I'm know, old, but you know, so you know what I'm saying? Like obsessives or who, who would go see this stuff? Yeah, I mean, certainly that you're, that's always going to be a, a core group of, of each thing, whether it's the collectors or the, the horror fans or the people that just like, I only like zombies. Um and then it spreads from there. I mean, like the stuff going on with zombies right now and Walking Dead being such a huge success, even though the nerds hate it because it doesn't have the same kind of like tension as original Romero and there's not nearly enough social commentary in this. Fascinating. Fascinating. I love it. I love it too, and it's growing. And even as more theaters decide to screen more old movies, it seems like one of the ways that you can separate yourself and define your brand is by which old movies you decide to screen. So when you can show anything, how do you decide what to show? Primarily by letting our, our programmers' passion run each series. Um, and then some of the programmers run it where they, they remember what did well and they want to try to hit that same sweet spot again and other programmers remember what did well and then say but that's why we're not going to play that this month because we want to try this other thing um, and it's just making sure that each thing is is done from a place of real passion and personality and then you know you, you kind of try to find people like I said when I, I talked to Sarah and realized that we didn't have a programmer like that so if we see a hole and we say okay well can we find somebody that is passionate and knowledgeable about this that can can you kind of build a community around that personality? Is there a dream event in your mind that you would love to put on that you haven't been able to do yet? Because it sounds like a dream job and that 
you've done, I mean, these things are incredible. Is there something you haven't been able to get to? There's always something, yeah. Uh, so my, my, I, got, I have two dream events right now, and I'm trying to make both of them a reality within the next 12 months. Uh, one of them is uh, a Trapped in the Closet sing-along, but also like featuring other R. Kelly videos, because I think a lot of hipsters know that R. Kelly is, uh, or that Trapped in the Closet is uh, mad genius, but just all of R. Kelly is. So I want to do like an R. Kelly show uh, that's interactive, I want to do it around the country, and at every uh, stop on this tour, I want to to give away a special prize to come to the year-end like big thing. I'm hoping, and I haven't talked to them yet, so if you know anybody at IFC, tell them to call me, because uh, uh, IFC is going to do new chapters later this year, and I'm excited by that. And what I really want to do is put together a, uh, a Step in the Name of Love video uh, party where... Everybody gets onto a yacht on uh, Lake Michigan, and we all have to wear white. And we just listen to R and B all night. And R. Kelly's there at the front of the boat, just going whoa all night long. That's that's one dream event for sure. I find it interesting that your dream event isn't even a movie. And we've already talked about uh, you know doing tons of Firefly and Buffy stuff. That's both specifically Joss Whedon. Uh, but it's interesting to see all this stuff kind of bleeding together. Like, it's a movie theater, but it's more than just movies. I've always said it's it's big screen-based entertainment, and it's about, like, the that that screen is the fire, and we come together around it, and we see different things in it on different nights. Uh, so, yeah, music, music videos are also great, and music is great, so why not enjoy it? The other big dream event that I want to do, and uh, I don't have it all fleshed out yet, but I'm going to do this uh, soon is a, is a three night summer camp featuring like summer camp movies and TV shows with special guests as well. What are some, what are, like I'm trying to think what are some summer camp stuff we're going to get into here? Sleepaway camp, the horror movies obviously. You, you do the horror movies. I want to do like one night of horror movies, another night of comedy. I want to like obviously do the wet hot American summer. Oh, of course. Stuff. Um and then I want I want to reach out to some of the the that Nickelodeon world. Uh do a the Are You Afraid of the Dark? I don't know if that's on the horror night or another night. Uh, and uh, Salute Your Shorts. We need. To, why hasn't there been a Salute Your Shorts cast reunion yet? And why has that not happened at a summer camp? And why have I not been there? I want to go to that. How do you think of these events? How do you figure out what's going to be next? A lot of it is just thinking about what I want to go to. You know, it's the same. It's really, um, it, it's like taking... Uh, throwing a party in college, like when you would try to throw a theme party so that everybody would talk about it, and then taking that to the next level. And so a lot of it kind of starts from, I want to bring Weird Al to town. So we brought Weird Al to town and showed UHF and had him come out and do like a, a, a talk. What you just described is something I've dreamed of for years. I'm, I'm always saying I want to have Weird Al come to town. And you're like, so we just we showed UHF. That's, that's incredible. It takes a lot of work. Each of those big events takes a lot, a lot of work. And so it's something that we're kind of always doing our day job and then doing our special project on the side. And it's just what's great about the Alamo and really fantastic about the environment that Tim has created is that it's something that celebrates that. And so, like I said earlier, my job has changed so much over the years uh, from when I was just cutting trailers to... uh, programming a couple of events to now trying to figure out how we're going to run creative departments in every market that we open up in. But it gives me the opportunity to kind of 
explore whatever I'm interested in. And then if I find that, oh, this needs to get done, but I'm not interested in it, we can hire somebody else to do that. And so we all have this, let's keep this pet project going, let's tie it in. And so because of that, you know, we haven't even touched on Mondo where we do the collectible poster stuff. Uh, what is that? What, what is Mondo? Mondo is, uh, Mondo is just blowing up. Right now, these days, Mondo is a boutique poster collectible uh, company. And they, they work with world-class designers we've, uh, to do screen print posters based around uh, primarily repertory titles. But that was what they've been doing for a couple of years. And now they're at the point where studios are coming to them and using them as part of their marketing campaigns that they have. Uh, cool stories to leak out as they continue pushing out information and not just photo stills. Uh, they're, they're working on a couple of big projects for later this year. I'm looking at the Dawn of the Dead poster I've got on my wall because they also will do some uh, Mondo mystery screenings where you buy a poster without knowing the movie that you're going to get a poster for and go somewhere to see the movie without knowing what it is and then get this whole experience. Uh, so they do, they do all these screen print posters that sell out within two minutes. And that that is this weird, weird part of the company that started because we had some street front part of the original location we weren't using. And Tim opened up a uh, iron-on t-shirt company there uh, just to be like, yeah, look, a heat press is, is uh, small and we can keep a lot of transfers here. And those were cool in the 70s. Let's get one. And then that kind of became a little bit of a, oh, let's make T-shirts for some of these events. And then that came, turned into, let's make a poster for this event. And then that turned into, whoa, people like this poster and they don't care about the event. Let's make more posters. And then we brought in this guy, Justin Ishmael, who uh, I think he was 23 when he came to town. And he's another one of those guys that just came to town because he was a 35 millimeter film collector, loved the Alamo, came down for uh, Buttonamathon, and this didn't want to leave, so came back and initially had a job as a... Uh, I think a bartender and he was a crappy bartender and then we put him in the projection booth and he was a crappy projectionist and we tried to have him sell private parties and he was bad at that. But then we kind of realized he had this passion for, for uh, collecting and we talked to him about the, the stuff going on with Mondo and uh, he'd already been doing some little like art and getting a design on the side. And so we just said, okay, well, stop doing that on the side, start doing that within this company. And then three, four years after that, Mondo is this world-class thing and it's the only, uh, non-studio company that makes movie posters that the academy is now archiving every poster they ever make uh so it's just it's huge and it's that that ability to say you know i mean we we're all a bunch of passionate people and we're all a bunch of creative people and our our interests are going to uh to define what we do and there's always a way especially i mean now with internet and everything else there's always a way to make make some something really cool happen based on your interest and, and make at least some money with it. You guys also have a bowling alley. We do. Um, we have a, it's a, we, we really started this concept because we wanted to have initially a, a larger lobby for, for, the, for our locations. And we wanted our larger lobbies to not just be big movie theater lobby, but rather like a place where you could hang out before and after the movie. So we, we wanted to do a themed bar basically and have an event space there and then we got this space in the same shopping center as our as uh, one of our austin locations and it was an old salvation army and we had to take the whole thing uh and we had great ideas for kind of the kinds of parties we could throw where we do casino nights before james bond and vampire proms before twilight because even a movie like twilight we like to celebrate and make as fun as we possibly can there's twilight nerds there are twi twi hearts is, is, is their name but uh, this space was so huge, and 
so we started kind of putting a, plans together for a bar and we didn't have enough parking spaces to make a bar or a restaurant the size of the space. And uh, the bowling alley came in initially because if you have a bowling alley, you take, take up a lot of the square footage of the space with the lanes and that changes how it goes in with the city. And so we had that, our developer or architect had that idea because he was aware of that code. And then we were just like, of course, why don't we own a bowling alley? So we got really into it. We bought retro vintage lanes that were... Uh, from the 50s. We had the same guy that installed the bowling lanes at Nixon's White House come in and install them for us. Uh, and then we filled in nooks and crannies. We've got a ballroom event space where we'll do huge parties. We did a, a party for one of the last Harry Potter movies where we actually had these lighting guys come out and hang floating candles over everything so it could be the Great Hall. Had a uh, interactive mirror uh, that would show you your uh, what you most desired. Uh, and then we have seven different themed karaoke rooms in that space also uh, where we've got like a heavy metal room and a rapper's delight room and uh, the private karaoke thing is just so fun. I believe you uh, and I have done private karaoke there together. <laughs> uh, I think we have and I think I only remember half of that night. Little, little iffy. That's what happens in private karaoke rooms. It seems uh, like uh, you guys are able to get away with uh, having a website and a poster store and all these things. Not even get away with, but it, it makes total sense that you'd be doing this because uh, Alamo Drafthouse is, I mean, it's obvious at this point in the interview, but it's more than a movie theater. It's, a, it's like almost a philosophy. It is, and it all like ties together. And for us, it really started with what well, we're, we're talking to this audience, whether it's on the microphone before a movie or online to tell them about this movie. And then it became, we're not just talking to an audience, but we're having a conversation with them. Uh, and then it kind of becomes this, oh, whoops, we're, we've built a culture. I had no idea that's what we were doing. And so the, the theater is the meeting space, but then the bar is the, the after meeting space. And we started doing a lot more specialty bars. We took over a, uh, a brothel on 6th Street, literal brothel, uh, that closed down. And we opened up a, a, a speakeasy inside that space uh, just during South By. We've got a lot of other special little bars that we're opening up now, too. So far, all of the Alamo Draft Houses are in Texas, and I think there's one in Virginia, maybe? Is that right? Yes, one in Virginia right now. But just announced, you guys are finally opening a bar in New York. Is that true? We are. We are taking over. I'm not a bar. You guys are finally opening a movie theater in New York. Full theater. What took so long? Uh, It's hard to find property deals in New York. Um, It's it's part of it. The other part of it is we've really only been focused on this kind of expansion for the past two years. And so uh, that's that's been the biggest piece is it's been for the past two years, we've been focusing on trying to find a space in New York, L.A., San Francisco, major markets like that. And it's just, it's hard. And now we've announced it, but, you know, we've still got a, a good another year, year and a half of making it actually ready to open up. Um, but hopefully within that time, we can announce some other locations in New York, too. Hopefully we can find a location in L.A. Hopefully the, the new Mission Theater in San Francisco that we've already announced is, is up and running and... Uh, that's that's when it gets really really fun. I'm already worried that the first show in 2013 or 2014 or whenever it is is already sold out in New York, and I need to get tickets now. <laughs> that's actually a good idea. Once we, as soon as I know the final number of seats, we, I think we'll just put tickets on sale and say, "You have no idea what it is. Who cares? Let's do this." Just do you as, as you said that, the Dark Knight sold out there. <laughs> 
Tickets are $60, no reason, just because we feel like this is a big city. And then that gives us a budget to do something really cool. You were saying that 11 years ago there was only one theater, and it seems like you expanded pretty slowly until recently. Do you think that's part of, you know, this nerd culture kind of exploding? Uh, I think it's really just us growing up with it. Um, and, and one of the things that gives us our charm is that we were a mom and pop. And, you know, it was Tim and Carrie and then really Tim and Carrie and me and then Tim and Carrie and me and Mike Sherrill, who's our chief operating officer now. And Tim and Carrie had, had the only movie theater experience they had is that they had impulsively rented out a theater space in Bakersfield, California before moving to Austin. And that was this huge, huge disaster, miserable failure. Uh, I had a film production degree that had nothing to do with uh, marketing and advertising and programming a movie theater. Uh, Mike did have a lot of restaurant experience, so he was a, a great help. Uh, but that meant that there was a lot of, of figuring it out and, and going slowly and then, you know, getting to that point where you go, oh, there are investors. <laughs> okay, right. How does that work again? Okay, cool. Uh, and then learning how to, you know, build capital and then learning how to work with different partners. And we have franchise partners in San Antonio, Houston, and Winchester, Virginia, and developing that program. And then it's... Uh, there's a lot of steps and then learning how to how to find real estate deals that don't uh that make sense and you can still turn a profit so that you can open another theater after that that's a shame because the job sounded so fun when i imagined it just you being like we should show gremlins this weekend <laughs> let's see if phoebe cates is around like i say you know there's the there's the day job and then there's the the side projects but we're the other cool thing is that well, the, the cool thing for other people, and the thing that's been driving me a little bit crazy, is that we, we do, as we grow, it keeps being like, okay, well, I don't have time to do that fun job anymore, so I need to hire this other person to, to decide if we're going to show Gremlins this weekend or not. I have to be focused on this other project. Uh, and then I'm like, I keep making all these dream jobs and then not being able to do them anymore because I have to do this other job. Uh, but ultimately, we can still say, hey, let's play Gremlins this weekend. I want to see Gremlins. And so that makes it... Uh, a pretty sweet career. Well, I can't wait till you guys open in New York. Honestly, I like legitimately believe it's going to improve my quality of life. I just can't wait for you guys to get here. Thank you so much for being on the show, Henry. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast too. Well, that was a really fun one, and now I really want to go back to Austin as soon as humanly possible. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you know the deal. Twitter, at Jeff Rubin Show. Tumblr, JeffRubin, JeffRubin.com. YouTube.com slash JeffRubin, JeffRubin. And, of course, there's that Facebook fan page. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Bye.